Well, good afternoon. It is nice to see you all on this sunny day. Uh, it's nice to see all our young people back. And uh, it's nice to see Colin and Barbara as well back from holiday abroad, looking very brown. And uh, a nice weather today, very appropriate. We're, we're continuing our studies in the book of Hebrews and we've reached chapter 3. And uh, my original intention today was to think with you about verses 1 to 6. And uh, Richard had uh, planned these sessions and given me the title, Jesus Greater Than Moses, which is exactly what it says in the NIV at the top of this little section. Um, And then next week, we were going to look at verses 7 to the end, which deal with how God's people in the Old Testament responded very badly to Moses and ultimately to God. Um, that you can tell there's a book coming. Um, let me just elaborate on that first. The writer here in this chapter is comparing effectively two leaders, Jesus on the one hand and Moses on the other hand. But he's also comparing two reactions. Moses led God's people in the Old Testament. The people heard God speaking to them through him as a leader. But they rebelled against Moses and and therefore against God who had sent him. Now, in this time, when this is being written, Jesus has come and the people have heard God's voice through Jesus. And they too are being tempted to rebel against that word. The weird thing is that the issue for these Christian believers who were Jews was that they were tempted to reject Christianity and go back to Judaism. They were tempted to reject Jesus and go back to following Moses, which is what they knew. And this whole letter, in a way, is... Is, is their, for want of a better word, their medicine. The, the writer here has a very delicate task. Um, on the one hand, he's trying to show them that there was nothing wrong with Moses. You know, sometimes when you want to make something look good, you make the other thing look really rubbish. But that, that isn't what the writer's doing here. There was nothing wrong with Moses. There's nothing wrong, in a sense, with the Old Testament. Moses was doing what God had told him to do at that time. The Old Testament was all part of God's unfolding plan. And the writer isn't trying to make Jesus look good by criticising Moses. Now God, in a sense, created Judaism. And it was right. And all of that Old Testament stuff was a preparation for Christ coming. Christianity wasn't to replace Judaism or to fight against Judaism Jesus came to fulfill Judaism and to supersede everything that had been promised and gone before so the idea in this chapter is Moses was good but Jesus is better that's the idea not Moses is awful you must Moses was good sent by God faithful but Jesus is better so on the one hand he's trying not to disparage the Old Testament on the other hand he's urging them not to repeat the same mistakes 
of the past and be unfaithful to what God's saying to them now. And how, how ironic it is that in the Old Testament people rejected Moses. Now they're rejecting Jesus and wanting to go back to Moses. And there's kind of a mixture of things going on there. So the writer here is urging these Christians, Jewish believers in Christ, who are tempted to go back rather than forwards, not to give up. And he's wanting to give them some solid, logical reasons for not going back. There is passion here. There's a, this writer is not kind of writing in an unenthusiastic way, but he's wanting to give them compelling reasons why following Jesus is the best thing they can do. So, my original intention was to look at verses 1 to 6, but I was stirred too much with verse 1. <laughs> so, my plan today is to linger on verse 1. So, I've got a different title to the one Richard gave to me. We're not going to think so much about Jesus and Moses. We're going to think about fixing our thoughts on Jesus, which is obviously the central theme of verse 1 there. What I, I think this verse is a hinge that these early chapters of Hebrews turn on, and I think we can deal with the rest of the chapter and the Moses bit next time, having laid a foundation looking at this verse today. So we're splitting it up a bit differently but hopefully you'll get a sense of that. Now, so far, we've had two chapters of very important introduction. And at this point, in this book or letter, the writer addresses the recipients for the first time. That's odd, isn't it? Normally when we write a letter, dear so-and-so, have you heard? This writer spends two chapters laying some groundwork and then, in this verse 1, he says, therefore, and then he talks to them directly. He said some stuff, he's going to say some other stuff, but this is the point where he's really wanting them to sit up and take notice. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest whom we confess. What, what I'd like to do uh, uh, is, is just break open that, that one verse today. And um, we're, I feel like I've got too much to say. We're, we'll break this verse open and we'll see how far we get. And if, if we don't finish, we can we can pick things up again next week so first thing my, my first point really is what, what the writer's doing here first of all is he's, he's reminding them isn't he of who they are very important he's, he's reminding them who they are his recipients therefore holy brothers you who share in the heavenly calling now at this point these recipients are as we've seen over the last few weeks in, in a bit of a mess we, we, we can 
deduce from the way the writer writes that they're tired, they're tempted, they're in danger of going backwards, some of them are in, give, in danger of giving up, they're beginning to doubt their, the reality of their relationship with Christ. And isn't it true in life that one of the things that tends to happen when we are stressed or tired or face difficulties that we we kind to some degree we begin to lose perspective, don't we? We forget what's really important. And is it not remarkable that the writer describes them in this way when they're in such a mess? He doesn't say, No, listen here, you depressed bunch of no marks. Get pull yourself he doesn't say that, does he? What he, he couldn't say anything more positive, could he? Holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling. He's wanting them to remember who they are, isn't he? Their arms are hanging down. They've forgotten who they are as Christian believers. But I, I don't think this is just a motivational pep talk on the part of the writer, as I hope we'll see. So I just want to say three things about, about this first. First of all, there, there is a difference there you go, I thought I'd missed a slide there you can see that on the page in front of you first of all, there is a difference isn't there between how God sees them and how they see themselves and isn't this the great thing in Christianity there, there is a different way to look at things when God enters the picture in ourselves, we might feel a miserable, clinging sense of, what's the point? What's it all about? But what about God's perspective? When God enters the picture, everything changes. He loves people. He, he loves them as they are. He is the one who makes people holy. Therefore, holy brothers. They didn't feel holy. They maybe didn't even look holy. Look at um, in chapter 2 and verse uh, 10. Uh, the writer there says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family it is Jesus who has clothed the unholy with his holiness it's him who makes them holy and this is the great resource, isn't it, isn't it, in the gospel and Christianity, to realise that it, it is God who comes to us and makes us right, clothing the unholy with his holiness, making it possible for us sinful, selfish people to hold our heads up in his presence, even though we don't deserve it. One of the problems that we often face in life is that we see ourselves only through our own eyes and forget God's perspective. 
And so the writer here reminds them who they are. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, remember who you are. He says two things about them. First of all, he calls them holy brothers. And that shows us that they are united. They're in the same family. The same God has welcomed them into his family. One God, one family. Whatever disagreements and differences and difficulties they might have, and they will in this world, as we do, they pale, really, in comparison with this reality, that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the issues for them was that some of them were starting to drift off. They'd stopped coming to some of the uh, church gatherings. They were beginning to isolate themselves. I I have to say that I I think the greatest pain I, I experience in ministry is when I see people who I love getting themselves to a point where they feel they've lost perspective and just want to stop coming. What an awful thing that is. Just, just turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This is a big theme in Hebrews. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, just a few pages further on, it's a, a very um, inspirational passage here. In Hebrews 10, uh, well, we could read from verse 23. The writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. What's going on in that church for him to have to write that? Right, it's not rocket science, is it? Some people are saying, I can't be bothered today. I think I'm going to stay at home, a bit busy. It's too much of a burden. What a sad thing it is when we lose perspective to the point where we feel we'd be better off not gathering with God's people and receiving the grace and the benefit of that fellowship. Therefore, holy brothers, one God, one family. It is really crucial, isn't it, that Christian believers confess and act upon their connectedness to Jesus. You're brothers and sisters. You're not alone. You have the same Father, the same Saviour. And that means that we belong to one another. Uh, Secondly, he doesn't just talk about their unity and their family membership if you like of of God's family but what a phrase this is holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling this is an amazing thing to say I I think the picture we need to have in our mind's eye is, is of God calling people by name towards heaven God, well, I'm reminded of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. And he speaks there, doesn't he, about, well, let me, let me turn to that. I don't want to 
misquote. He talks about forgetting what is behind and straining. Um, yeah, in verse, um, well, from verse 12, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I think that they are very profound words, aren't they? The sense that Paul had was, I am on a journey. The most important thing about me is that my destiny is heaven. God has called me heavenwards. That's where I'm going. And if that destiny doesn't shape what happens now, is it a struggle? Yes. Are there problems? Of course there are. Do you get tired and sad sometimes? If you're anything like me, yes. Are there things you can't understand? Absolutely. But think about the journey you're on. Think about the fact that God in heaven has called you by name. He's actually come to Rotherham and said, I want you to come to my heaven. Does that not change everything? What you believe about your ultimate destiny changes everything, doesn't it? Where you think you're going to end up shapes how you live today. And if you're one of these people who is called heavenwards, it should change everything. Therefore, holy brothers who share, all of you share in the heavenly calling, think about who you are, where you're going. And there they are. Can you see what the writers say to them? You, this is amazing. I, I think we can take from this that what you need more than anything when you're tired and in danger of giving up is to be reminded of who you are, what you've been called to, and where you're going, isn't it? So that's the first thing. He reminds them of who they are. This is the first time he's addressed them. They're in a real mess. And he says to them, you are holy brothers, called heavenward. Remember who you are. Secondly, he points them to Jesus. So, he's reminded them who they are, and now he urges them to fix their thoughts on Jesus. Quite an, it's quite an emphatic and active phrase. The, the NRV translates it, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Some translations say, consider Jesus. But it, it kind of, it, do, it isn't just, you know, have a little think about Jesus sometimes. Or keep Jesus in mind. Or have a fridge magnet that says Jesus on it so that when you get up and have your breakfast, you go, it, no. It means think deeply about who he is and what he's done and what he's like. Drink him in. 
it means taking time to deliberately focus your mind's thoughts, hearts on Jesus. I think this is another amazing thing about Christianity. The world, I think, around us encourages every moment, really, of every day to be fixing our thoughts on ourselves. We, we live, I think, in the most individualistic culture. But there's something very important in this for tired people. Their hands are hanging down, their faces are glum. What do they need? Well, they need to remember who they are and they need to remember what God's called them to, but they need to drink deeply of Jesus. The, the problem often is that we know a little bit about Jesus, don't we? And that's better than nothing. But to really know him, to walk through life with him, that's a different thing, isn't it? It takes time, determination, focus. But this right here is the life-giving sap of a truly Christian life. Pride will draw us away from him. Busyness will draw us away from him. Bitterness will draw us away from him. There are so many things we could list that would draw us away from him. But you cannot afford not to make him the undivided priority of your inner life. And I think the writer here shows us why. And that's why I've been stirred and that's why I want to stop and just linger here in verse 1. So, oh, I've missed another slide. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to get carried away. Um, the writer here gives Jesus two quite unusual titles which are, I think, incredibly appropriate as I hope we'll see. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. So, first of all, apostle. What does the word apostle mean? These are all like words we kind of know vaguely, don't we? Uh, the, the word apostle means someone who is sent, like a messenger. Um, I was trying to think of an example. I think you could see an apostle like an ambassador who represents uh, their country in a foreign country. You know the idea of an ambassador? So if, if you, so you're from Rotherham, let's say the government appointed you as the ambassador for the UK to China. So you, know, you would go to China and your job, you would be sent by the government to represent the UK in China. And you would be told by the government to say certain things and I'm sure to listen as well to other things but that would be your job you would be sent as a sort of messenger an ambassador now imagine God imagine if God sent an ambassador from his country to our country that would be Jesus wouldn't it God sends his 
great ambassador from a heavenly country to an enemy territory. He is the great sent one, the great apostle. Secondly, the title of high priest is, is a crucial one as well. There you go, a bit of symmetry. The high priest was a very important civic role in the Old Testament. As you'll know, the job of the high priest was to make sacrifices uh, to cover the sins of the people. He would pray for them. His job was to bring them into God's presence. You, you may know that the high priest had a special uniform to wear and on the front of it there were 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and whenever he came into the holy place what is he doing? He's bringing the people on his heart into God's presence. His job was the one of being a mediator the reconciler the one who would care for the guilty the broken the one who would bring healing and restoration the one who would draw the distant and bring them near to God what a great job the high priest to bring people to God so I hope we can see now that Jesus is two things these two titles are very important on the one hand he is the great apostle and in that sense his job is to come from heaven and reveal God to us but in his other role as a high priest he's the one who brings us to God what, what a great couple of titles they are he is the one who brings God to us and he's the one who can bring us to God. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest who we confess. What is absolutely brilliant about this is this is exactly what he's been saying already in chapter 1 and chapter 2, isn't it? We could say that chapter 1, this slide gets a bit busy now, I'm sorry. That's the last one now, I can leave it alone. We could say chapter 1 is all about the greatness of Jesus being the sent one. And chapter 2 is all about his humility and gentleness as the great high priest. So what he's been saying up to now, chapter 1, Jesus is very great. Chapter 2, Jesus is very gentle. He is the apostle and the high priest. Let's um, just go back, you, just by way of recap. What does uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and those first few verses say? In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times in various ways. But in these last days, how has he spoken to us? By his son. And who is he? He's appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is more than a prophet. He is more than a great teacher. He is unique in his greatness. God the Son. 
the creator the great apostle God's ambassador to a lost world if we want to know what God is like we can't know that unless we listen to him God sent him how has God spoken to us by his own dear and amazing son we saw last week that sorry no it was a week before last if, if he is so great in chapter 1 the question is why did he die like a weakling why did he not just smash those Roman soldiers to smithereens if he made the whole world what is he doing hanging on a cross with thorns on his head and people spitting at him he could have gone and just obliterated the lot of them if he really is the son of God this is the problem these people have got it's a scandal how can you worship this man who died like a criminal they took him outside the city he never said a billy bean how can you worship him and the answer comes in chapter 2 he is very great but he became very humble so that he could become our high priest he doesn't need to offer sacrifices he offered himself he died to conquer sin and death he became one of us so that he could help us just look with me at the end of chapter 2 because the, the therefore in chapter 3 verse 1 is referring back to this isn't it verse 17 for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and so that he might make atonement for the sins of the people and get this because he himself suffered when he was being tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted don't you just love that just listen to those words he is able to help you is that not precious the great and supreme messiah has your name close to his heart listen what do you think when you think of jesus I, I think for some Christians life can be tough and it almost feels like we're carrying Jesus he's another burden that we have to worry about even coming to church feels like a chore and a duty that's exactly how these people feel and when we get to that stage we have it all wrong don't we he is not there to crush you but to help you he is gentle and kind and loving and compassionate he knows what you are made of he understands the things you struggle with 
In our modern culture, we hear a lot, don't we, about not being judged. I don't want anyone to judge me. It's up to me how I live my life. I don't want anyone to judge. I don't think we really care that much about judgment. I think what we fear is rejection, isn't it? This is beautiful because Jesus is above all of that. He knows all about our secret struggles and fears and sins. And he judges them all correctly. But the key thing is it doesn't cause him to reject us or abandon us or push us away. His heart goes out to people who are struggling, lost, guilty, confused, broken, He longs to forgive, put things right and give new starts, repeated new starts. Do you sometimes think that Jesus is too hard? Listen to the Bible here. He is able to help you. Look at the beginning of um, verse 2. Chapter 3. Uh, the right, we'll just dip into verse 2. The, the writer says, Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him. In other words, God, his father, sent him to be both apostle, to reveal God to the people, and to be the high priest, to bring the people to God. And he was faithful to the one who sent him to do just that. He does both. And he does them perfectly and amazingly. Can I just show you one more thing that's um, really striking here? Is that okay? Almost done. If chapter 1, just think with me, if chapter 1 is all about Jesus' greatness, what should our response be to that? to to him as an apostle being sent to reveal God to us what should our response be well the answer comes at the beginning of chapter 2 Richard worked through these verses with us chapter 1 is all about establishing that Jesus is the sent one bigger than angels he's the one who got us sent chapter 2 starts We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The writer is saying, if God has sent Jesus to reveal God to us, if he is this great apostle, the ambassador, sent from heaven into this world, then pay attention. Be on the edge of your seat. Prick your ears up, listen up, and tune in. And whatever you do, don't miss hearing him. If Jesus is the one God has sent, how on earth do you think you'll escape? If you put your fingers in your ears... Who's going to protect you if you don't listen to him? That's, do you get the kind of the passion in the writers? These guys, are, they're, they're drifting off. 
And he said, where are you going to drift off to? If you don't listen to him, you've got nothing left. In other words, the writer's saying, Jesus is the great apostle. This is a matter of life and death. There is a major, big, red, flashing warning going on there. Don't miss him. On the other hand, chapter 2, he then goes on to speak all about Jesus being this great, gentle, humble, helpful, sympathetic high priest. And there's another therefore then in chapter 3 and verse 1. So at the end of chapter 2, because he himself suffered when he was attempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, what should we do with that? What should our response be to him as a high priest? Well, we should fix our thoughts on him. We should embrace him. We should drink him in. We should suck every little bit of sweet encouragement we can derive from him. He is our helper, saviour. I, I don't know about you, but as I'm studying this this week, I'm thinking this is the ultimate carrot and stick, isn't it? Isn't it? Jesus is the great apostle. Whatever you do, don't miss him. That's a warning. <laughs> Big red. On the other hand, oh, Jesus, come and drink in his sweetness and help. This right is a great example of good leadership. He warns them and he encourages them. He shows them what they need to avoid, but he also shows them what they can gain. On God's behalf, he, he really does threaten them with judgment and woo them and draw them with grace. Isn't that amazing? Some people, uh, I think, do, do need warning. And, and they, they, you know, they don't need an arm around them. They just need telling straight. <laughs> sort it out. Take your fingers out of your ears and listen up. Maybe people like this are too confident in themselves and need spiritually breaking. Uh, that hard, prideful outer shell needs penetrating somehow. But there are other people who do need picking up off the floor, don't they? Encouraging. Don't despair. You are not outside of his care and love. Some people think they are way too worthy. Other people think they are not worthy enough. And, and, and actually, the Bible is brilliant, isn't it? At both warning and encouraging you too can receive his forgiveness. He hasn't passed you by or abandoned you or forgotten you. What the writer is saying here, Jesus is not either too hard or too soft. He is both great and gentle. He is our apostle and our high priest. I think as we go through the book of Hebrews, we'll see both of these things blended together. Serious, solemn warnings and the most amazing, tender encouragements. Let me ask you, 
teacher that you don't need to answer this out loud. What is it that you need today? Do you need warning? Or do you need encouraging? These people are tired and the writer addresses them and reminds them of who they are. You are holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. He reminds them too who Jesus is, the apostle who reveals God to them and the high priest who brings them to God. He shows them that it was God who appointed Jesus to this very task and he urges them not to neglect Jesus but to fix their thoughts on him. Just as we close, I want to be practical. What, what, what will you do to fix your thoughts on him? What does that mean? Will you make some time this week each day to find a quiet place and deliberately put aside busyness and focus your thoughts on him will you come to him and ask him to be your helper will you ask him to join you to your brothers and sisters in love and will you ask him to strengthen you so that you won't drift or, or fall into despair therefore holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling fix your thoughts on Jesus the apostle and high priest whom we confess Amen